live, 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 live. Uh, well, it said you are live. Yeah, that's why I was excited. I was saying it out of out of uh, exuberant joy. Exuberant joy. Look at you yeah. doubling down. Look at our that? zero our zero viewers. Not even Mark Garney's here. I don't think he likes Rush. Well, he commented. Oh, maybe that maybe the one is him because there's one here now. So it's probably Mark. Or it's Gall McCartney. <laughs> well, that too. And I invited a bunch of people, so a bunch of people may show I saw up. that. I saw that. We need to start doing that more in advance, and then it'll remind people as it's coming. Yeah, well, there's that. You know. <laughs> We're not, either one of us are not are not busy or anything. Oh, yeah, Pat ah, Middlestad. I was just getting ready to send him the link, because he's a big Rush fan. Yeah, he actually uh, he actually liked it on uh on uh on the facebook page which is great so thank you patrick i like you again um <laughs> again you won't again. you're not going to cancel his comments like you did last time no that was funny <laughs> <laughs> i saw him a couple days after that and it was very awkward <laughs> all right you know what's awkward we have three people so that <laughs> That alone is awkward. It's time for the intro. Cover to Covered is a podcast that features two idiots talking about music at length, and occasionally a dog does make an appearance. There will also be special guests from time to time that will show up, and they will be smarter than the hosts. And the hosts will give their opinions. By the way, they are exactly that. Opinions. They are not truths, they are not fallacies, and they do not reflect the views or opinions of their employers or those they employ. So with that, just enjoy the damn show. Ha-ha! And we're back. Welcome to the show. How many weeks has it been? Three? It, too many. <laughs> the last one we did was right before Halloween. Right? right. I think. And then, wait. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's correct. That was the last yeah. one because because then you you had to go play with your friends. You had to like play the with same, the reverend the, people. The and, same and thing you you were doing last night. Same show and everything. I at least got a show in this week. Hey, <clears throat> sorry. You'll be you're the first one to tell me uh, business comes first. Thank you very much. I, I'm just giving you shit, dude, because I can. Right, you can. You sound okay. Here's one thing, just so everybody knows. Mike and I usually get on here about I don't know, uh, thirty to forty seconds before we go live <laughs> to make sure that everything's working. And Mike was like, "Does my does my mic sound better?" And it does, except for now it sounds like Mike that you have a cold. Do you have I a do. cold? Oh, okay, all right. Well, then there so, you go. Yeah, no, no. I I actually do have some sort of like, it's nothing bad. It's just like the. Ever since I got back to California from it started before I left New York because I was I was out on the road. I got back and the minute I got back, just it was like 
bad allergies, but without constant sneezing. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but it's it's just all up in here, like all up in the sinuses. And I had like a stress headache across my forehead for like the first couple of days. So I stayed away from work. I work from home, but uh, then I, I went in the past couple of days because I'm feeling a lot better. So that's good. That if we good. did this on yeah, if we did this Monday, it'd be like, so anyway, Nick, <laughs> let's talk about what's coming out on Friday. It would have been like you want to talk about awkward. This is way beyond Patrick Middlestad awkward. This would have been like, I don't even know how to talk to you. Um, but I do like the rasp. I enjoy yeah. my my little slight bit of vocal fry. A uh, li- little bit of vocal fry. But not so. Howard Stern annoyance level of vocal fry. No, he doesn't do vocal fry. He's just no, like he get, no, he gets annoyed by the oh, people yeah, that yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. He's like, is, is fucking Kermit the Frog on? What is happening? <laughs> and he's right. I love how upset he gets about that shit. I get upset about it. It's it, it instantly, because vocal fry used to be that kind of thing where it made you sound like introspective and it would draw people in, you know. And, uh, and uh, really, really, uh, really, uh, I'm getting real. You know, I'm getting real and uh, you know, uh, draw you in, and instead it became like a like 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 an adjective in the middle baby? of a sentence. Exactly. So that's what happened. Uh, with uh, see, I did it. <laughs> I did it. Go. I did it. it. It became a part of speech, and uh, except very n- not intelligent speech, a la Paris Hilton. Now, Paris, I know you're watching. Yes, so. she's a good friend of yours. She is, yes, uh, and uh, and uh, her uh, friend Holiday Inn is also uh, one of my friends, and uh, Hampton, her brother, Hampton. Inn. Um, so anyway, uh, Ooh, Mike Smithson's here. Mike Smithson is also a lo- uh, loyal Rock City customer, and I bet he's a Rush fan just based on the music that he likes or that he's well, told me he go. likes. Mike Mike Smithson needs to come and join us on the YouTube. Uh, he's watching on Facebook, which is fine. Which is fine. Except it's not because Facebook sucks. So uh, except for you did the invite on Facebook because so that's again, where we're going to pick up. Well, people. this was a test. This was a test to see what the algorithms like to see if it pushes things down. If I add the, you know, the what do you call if I add the link, but I put it in the invite in a post on the invite. So, yeah, I mean, if you, if you could all come over to, to the YouTubes and also subscribe subscribe and like and hit the notification bell and all those other things that we really like. Otherwise, you will get vocal fry. Uh, So a couple of things right here at the top of the show. My name is Mike. That is Nick. Nick, what store do you own? Rock City Music Company. And where is it located? Livonia, Michigan. Where can we find you? RockCityMusicCo.com, or if you're local, you can find us at the corner of Five Mile and Farmington. I'm about to kill Roger. Roger! Of course you are. Drop it! Get over here. Drop it now. He's eating my Yachtly crew hat. No, don't do that. Get over here. I'm going to go kill him. Uh-oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike really... Mike is a good puppy dad, but Roger sometimes is not a good puppy. He, He just... Ah! Oh, I like this hat. It's all right, Mike. You can get another one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you can't get another Roger though. Well, don't let don't tell him that. Because <laughs> he'll be like, oh, I could just eat all of Daddy's hats and shoes because he can't get another one of me. But he could right. spend all of his not so disposable income 
yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike Smithson's right. He does look like that dog from Men in Black. Everybody like, he looks like Frank, and he he does. He does. He looks like Frank. Um, but he's he's <laughs> he's funnier in a lot of ways, and he's cuter in a lot of ways. And I want to kill him in far more ways. <laughs> um, but I don't, and I won't, because I love him. Because he's my boy. That's right. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not really sorry. I yelled at you, but you know, I love you. Get he's that. like, I'm a dog. Thanks for leaving your hat out. You fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this shoe is tasty. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Mike asks, does he talk? Unfortunately, no, because otherwise I'd be a lot richer. Yeah, right. You know, and he would have a nice big dog house to live in. Cover some um, jazz. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, Neither no, one of us are jazz is aficionados. He new, is, he a, is this a new viewer who is giving us crap already? I think so. He's, I think he's you have to watch right a in. full episode before you really start giving us crap. All right. Um, so a couple of things at the top of the show. Uh, Want to give our, our best wishes to our, our to your friend and our viewer, Britt. Yes. Um, so what's going on with Britt? Well, um Quick overview is uh, Britt had to have some very major surgery unexpectedly. Uh, they found a mass on his brain and uh, had to go in for emergency surgery. And lucky, luckily, they were able to get it out of him. Very successful surgery. He's already home resting with his family. Um, I've talked to him a bit. And uh, he's doing well. He's in good spirits, the best spirits you can be in. But um, please keep sending the Blackberry Smoke group uh, everybody in it the family the family of all the members uh your positive vibes and uh if you're a praying person please send prayers and all that stuff Britt's one of the best dudes in the industry a great friend of mine and uh just praying and hoping for a beautiful outcome on this and i have no doubt that that's what we'll get because he's as tough as they come so and the minute he's feeling good he's coming on here He's, He's coming, coming on. We yeah. we were pretty much there to have him on before, and then obviously this is obviously much more important than... I would hate to think <laughs> that we had anything to do with any of his issues. It might be you. It's like that George Carlin bit where they go, well, yeah, it did. Where he says, yeah, it didn't help. In fact, <laughs> you could be responsible for speeding up his illness. Exactly. That's... Sorry, Britt. <laughs> he would, he would find that funny. <laughs> I, I well no i'm apologizing for <laughs> accelerating his illness not because we're talking about it uh but hey man if you're watching i hope you are i hope you feel better uh nick hopes you feel better as well roger hopes more than both of us that you feel better because he yes. can't wait to meet you yes um so that's number one number two i want to talk about uh this whole taylor swift ticket debacle yes what the hell Okay, so here's the thing. Before we even get deep into this, let's understand that this is exactly the same thing I discussed a couple of months ago when the Springsteen tickets went on sale. The same thing occurred here. Just so everybody's aware, this dynamic pricing, it's just now been brought to the forefront because... That's not know, even thats not even the, the biggest problem. Yes, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I, have, I am hearing from people that ended up getting in and being able to buy tickets, and they're going, it said they were supposed to be you know, $150, and I had to pay $500. That's your dynamic pricing, in effect. Yep. And, yep. and uh, obviously, this is on the most massive, largest scale they could do this on. And, and you know, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan or anything, but you got to give props to somebody that can do five nights at SoFi Stadium. I mean, yeah. this, this is this is just th crazy numbers. You can't 57, even... 57, 50... I'm sorry, 50... 
51 stadium shows. Yes. 51. You could say whatever you want about her and her music or whatever. I mean, that is that is a Im- impressive stats. That she's probably the only artist around that can do that at this point. I mean, that's just absolutely jaw dropping numbers. Because yeah. because you're talking the average average capacity of these places is is sixty thousand. Some bigger, some smaller, yeah. and and even here in Detroit. You know, it's, it, you're doing. She's doing two nights at Ford Field, which is where the Lions play. It's I like mean, eighty thousand, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I saw I saw ACDC there, and I saw U2 there, and they were only doing one night. So compare that. To, you're talking two of the biggest bands of all time, again, regardless of how you feel about their music, two of the biggest bands of all time, and she's doubling what they're doing. That's it's And, and I saw the Stones there, actually. I saw the Stones there a year ago, and, and they were one night. So, I mean, it's just really it's really something impressive. But, it's yeah, the, the tickets is – I feel really bad for the people that are – you know, diehard fans of hers because, like I said, I just went through this when the when the Springsteen tickets went on sale, yeah. and it and it's and it sucks. You know, they're 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 leeching on to people's fandom, and um, you know, especially with Taylor Swift, she has younger fans, and I know yeah. a lot of people are shelling out money for this, and it's just it's it's really it's gross what Ticketmaster's doing. But yeah. you know, Ticketmaster's never been accused of being a stand-up, uh, transparent company. So, and I would love to see all the people that get so upset about like oh, Mike, you and. I have discussed a million times about what went on with MoFi and yeah. where where their transparency was, and it's like I want to see that many people get that upset about Ticketmaster because it's getting the, there, man. I mean, the the build it's been coming for a while, and the problem is like it's such a monopoly. There's the there's no alternative that provides what Ticketmaster provides, and I remember back in the day when I first started going to concerts, and they were like twelve dollars, right? And people would have to pay a dollar service fee. I remember when the Rolling Stones, I think it was the Rolling Stones or the Who, uh, it was like $35 a ticket. And we were like, and $5 service charge? What the hell? Five. I wish yeah. for the days of the $5 service charge. Or a $35 ticket. Or a $35 ticket. <laughs> <laughs> You can't even go to brick by brick around the corner from my place here and go see like some death metal band for less than 40. Yeah. Um, But I mean, really, it's insane. It's absolutely. And look, I understand why. I mean, as big as Taylor Swift is, as big as Harry Styles is, which it's kind of funny. Those two are the two biggest touring artists right now. And they used to mash. Um, (laughs) uh, But, you know. Like, yeah, Jeff, uh, you know, brought this up. Ticketron, uh, I'm about to go on this whole diatribe, and this is where this comes in. So, you know, it, you, you you wish for the days of, like, the $5 service charge. It's a monopoly at this point. There's nobody that could provide a service like Ticketmaster except third-party resellers that are essentially the Amazon marketplace of tickets because which is owned by Ticketmaster by the way if you're talking about StubHub you know I mean StubHub Vivid Seats TickPick which I actually dig TickPick in not like that come on it's (laughs) T-I-C-K um it's it, TickPick. I, I I like their format because there's all the fees added. There's nothing else additional. The what you pay is what you pay. However, it seems higher than if you go on Vivid Seats or StubHub at first. Yep. 
And yep. then at the end, all three of those, like there'll be ticket brokers that sell the same tickets across all three. They have some algorithm on the back end of their computer system, and it'll pull off once you buy from one format. And SeatGeek, yeah. SeatGeek, yeah that's another SeatGeek's one, yeah. another one, yeah. So, um, so you have all these. What is that noise? It's it's probably my furnace. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, did somebody just let out gas? Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the point being is that, you know, all these services, you have to check them all before you buy a ticket on any of them because you'll get three different prices, number one. Number two, Ticketmaster owns StubHub, like you said, and you could resell on Ticketmaster as well. Well, and the, and the, yeah, and the thing, and and it can work in your favor as well. I mean, I can't tell you the countless times I've went on uh, StubHub the day of show and gotten amazing seats at a lower value because Ticketmaster won't sell them at a lower value on their site, but exactly. they use StubHub to to blow blow to stuff through. Yep. You know, I so I got tickets to see Robert Plant um, in June, like about I don't know, fifteen rows back from the stage, and they were half the face value even with the fees. So there is a benefit, of course. For, times, for the consumer but yeah but that's that's like the rare case you know when i find that baseball games yeah, of course yeah yeah that's that's when you really luck out with yeah. things like that baseball games you know that's one thing but tickets here's the thing you know like i was saying before you got taylor swift and harry styles harry styles did 15 nights at madison square garden and he just did a thing at the forum you know at the la forum so this is this is this is funny yeah that uh, is very funny where are you filming nick hansel and gretel's oven Ooh, it's yeah. just it's just the angle jeff it's just the it's just the angle yeah uh, let's see all right april henderson this is this is jeff's lovely way better half i waited in line all night for tickets and music plus for wristband i still got bad seats however the tickets are 24 dollars yeah, you can handle bad seats at twenty four bucks. What you can't handle is bad seats at two hundred and forty bucks. Right, and that's where we are now. Like that's the biggest problem. So you got Taylor Swift, Harry Styles. Nobody's going to begrudge them playing all these nights. Why are they playing this many nights? Because we've they they, they haven't toured. Yeah, there hasn't been touring for years, and yep. so now everybody's going out all at once and trying to make up for when they didn't. Yep, and people are paying it. Well, that's, you know, the other thing is, especially with an artist like, let's say, Taylor Swift or Harry Styles is a good example. Let's be honest. Music aside, the, these fan bases are made up mostly of people that don't go to a lot of concerts, okay? Either because yeah. they're younger or yep. because they like mainstream music or whatever, which, fine, I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about that. But people get caught up in the fear of missing out, that they're going yeah. to, oh, oh, if I don't buy my tickets today, I'm not going to get a ticket. You know, uh -huh. these Taylor Swift shows are, are 10 months from now or, or nine months, something like yeah, that. They're, they're in like May and through the summer. Yes, exactly. So, so and the people that don't know the game of like tickets become available or resellers that mark their tickets up if they are not able to move them, you can get them back at face value or whatever it is. It's like they're not aware of that. So you you have this perfect storm of like you're saying these artists haven't toured in a long time. They're trying to make up for that. You got a huge artist going out, and then you've got people that aren't experienced in buying tickets, worrying that they're yep. not going to get any. So yep. instead of going, fuck, I'm not paying $2,500 for two tickets, they're going, I better pay $2,500 or I'm not going to be able to go, which yep. is not the case, especially when you're talking a stadium show. There is always going to be tickets available coming up near the show at a stadium concert. 
when you look at it from the fact that at $2,500, right, you figure the average headlining artist is going to play between 20 and 25 songs, right? When you can measure your songs in dollars per song at three digits per song, per there's person. a big problem. Per person, there is a big, big problem. Yep. I'm all for artists making the money. All right. We know they're not making it through streaming. Yes. That's, exactly. that's a whole We only have ourselves to blame about this, to be oh, honest. Yeah. A lot of it, yeah. Well, technology. I mean, there have been technology companies pushing lots of things, right? Uh, but we figure, well, for nine ninety nine a month or ten ninety nine a month, I can have a hundred million songs. Oh, oh. Well, you know what? That's why people <laughs> we like talk me just and you. like that too. Yeah, we do this all the time. Actually, <laughs> I'm just putting on my podcast voice now. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm faking it most of the time. Stay away from my damn hat. <laughs> He's going for it. See, there he is. There he is. He's going for the hat again. Stop it. Be a good boy. So anyway, point being is that, you know, we buy records, right? You and I buy records. That's what this show is based off of. It's founded on vinyl and music and buying these things and, you know, that's physical media, physical media. And we're about to talk about one of the greatest bands of all time and half of their catalog. Right. Yep. Going to talk about Rush. We will get there. I promise. Um, but this is just too big of a thing not to rant on for a while. Yes, yeah. So, you know, you're right. We do have ourselves to blame when we're not buying physical media. And another thing, why people don't buy a lot of physical media, it's 30 bucks for a record. Can this parlay into the thing I wanted to complain about? Because I think they go hand in hand. Yes, the annual Walmart is selling all their vinyl for $15. Okay. okay. Again, I understand, especially right now with inflation and how the economy is and everything, it, you know, people want to save their save as much money as they can. I get that. People flocking and running to Walmart in these vinyl groups to pick up you know, copies of uh, Third Eye Blind's greatest hits and <laughs> Motley Crue greatest hits. I mean, it's and then fleek, freaking out like, look, I got all 10 of these records for $15 each. I, I, I've said this before on this show. I grew up going to record stores. I grew up going to record shows. I grew up supporting the physical media with people that it's their either their passion or their livelihood or whatever. Going to Walmart, a place that sells bedding and curtains and bicycles and candy bars and produce, to me, is not the ideal place to spend your money buying records. I, I, and I, you, you can think I'm being a snob. If you want, that's fine. But to me, it's just such a fuck you to the independent stores that base that that that, that they're very they're they're selective about what they bring in. They try and curate so that you're getting a special thing when you come into their store, and you're blowing it by going and buying the new Ozzy Osbourne at Walmart for fifteen dollars because it's on gold vinyl. I I just I don't I don't respect that, and it ties back into this because. People, I think they get wrapped up in what's put in front of them, you know, yeah. which is this is age old marketing and everything. But oh, like, yeah. you know, it's just so ridiculous to me. You know, would you really want to see an independent record store lose all those sales just because just I mean, because you're talking some of these titles, you're saving seven dollars. Some of them, like you're saying, Mike, you're saving 
$20. And I get it. I understand that. It's it's definitely a rock and a hard place thing because everybody's money matters and you can spend your money however you want. But to me, as a diehard, lifelong record collector and somebody that owns a small business that puts a ton of effort into their vinyl selection, to see everybody run out and spend hundreds of dollars at Walmart with people that don't give a flying fuck about records or the bands or anything, it's it sucks, you know? And that's yeah. taking money, that's dollars to buy, as we say in this industry, um, out of your pocket before record store day black friday which is coming um which i know all the stores put a ton of capital and effort into putting out great used stuff as yep. well as of course the exclusive titles you're blowing oh, yeah. all your money on on stupid reissues and all the money's going to these these greedy pricks i mean it's it, it it's a shame it really is i i hate seeing it and i hate seeing real deal record collectors get sucked up into it, it it's it's just it's a shame yeah, the, the the other side of that is that Walmart has so much money they can have lost leaders like yep. that. Yep, you know, and that, you can't, right? Because you can't lose five bucks a record, you know. No. And the other side of it, which I find really, really odd and interesting, I understand inflation, right? I get it; it's a thing. But let's look at as I'm playing with Roger while I do this. Um, let's look at how CDs rose up in price and then plummeted yep right now you can buy new cds for like eight bucks sometimes why cheaper is, sometimes cheaper why is that not happening with vinyl you know i, I think it's coming still going up mm -hmm. right and because you can get like fifteen thousand variants of alice in chains dirt and all this other stuff and you know i i mean look we're the idiots that helped that along too by paying 150 fucking dollars for a fucking Steely Dan album. There you go. You know, because we're idiots, because we're collectors, and because we're, you know, I'm not going to call myself an audiophile, but we just, we're collectors. We like these kind of things, right? So we're helping that along. But you would think for doing that, for helping that industry along, there would be like more widespread acceptance and then you know price would start coming down on some of this and it's not as it's, more pressing plants open up over the next two years i i believe the price point is going to come down it, well it should it absolutely should because it i should. still think this is affected by supply chain and backed yeah. up product yeah. and all kinds of, i yeah. get it you know it's like i we we're living that every day every so, day in so our, in our it's, business yes every yes day. So, but this is just an, it's just one of the, it, to me, it's a point of, it's a point of pride because it's just so, Yeah. I mean, even if I didn't own the business that I do, I think it's such a disgrace to be buying records. Like I said, I think I put it on here before where I said, you shouldn't be buying records at a place that sells ravioli. The only thing that I could say in defense of Walmart, and it's not a big one, especially not in this day and age when you can order things on the internet. But for like, you know, looking at it from the, the Kurt Cobain aspect where he was like, all right, yeah, I want Nirvana and Walmart because that was the only place I could buy records when I mm -hmm. was growing up. If that's the only thing around you and it's let's be honest, I mean, it supplies communities. Yes. You know, I get it from that aspect. But like what you're saying, though, is not what we're not that person. We're talking about the avid collector who's like, look at what I got for 50 dollars you know right. 
third eye blind on purple swirl. You know, it's who cares? First right. off, you know, second of all, anybody who's a real collector is probably not buying third eye blind. So there's that. <laughs> there is that. There's that. Uh, oh, look at this. Oh. Oh, Dennis Smith. So you should have bought it. You should have bought it because it's definitely worth more than a dollar. You could have made some money on that. I would say he would have. That would be double what it's actually worth. So he actually did a good job skipping. Uh, the pa- okay. Album. Pat's comment. This is exactly it, Pat. You're absolutely right. And this is what I'm saying about the people buying Taylor Swift tickets. They don't know the game they don't understand that there's 15 in our area 15 independent stores that they can go to that have better records and better quality and put a ton of effort into their stuff you're absolutely right they they only think that's twofold that's there's two sides to that so you're right because they're let's uh let's just call them basic right these are basic everyday people it's just like why does um a, a company like that rhymes with Matarfenter exist when there's a Rock City music company. Right. Well, because it's called Matarfenter. <laughs> and people love it's like Macy's. You yeah. know, like where do you go to buy clothes? I go to Macy's. Why? I it's what I've heard. It's what I know. It's right. what I've seen. But well, don't you then, think this is a little bit more niche than buying clothes? Well, let me get there. So it, it sort of is, all right. There's a, you know, Matar Fenter and uh, Pam Bash are two large uh, industry titans in in your particular uh, industry. Yes. Um, And, you know, they do a lot of advertising and people know who they are. Right. Yep. So what a lot of smaller stores don't do is advertise. You know, could they afford it? Maybe. But you know what's free? Gathering an email list. Yep. You know, exactly. work on it. You know, so it, it there are two sides to it. There are two sides to it. You can't just open your doors and hope that you're going to do well. Right. Okay. What you can hope is that people would have more sense and go to an actual mom and pop shop. Right. I mean, to Patrick's point, those of you that are listening to this after this show on the audio, he says a lot of people that happen to buy records at Walmart and Target may not even know that record stores actually exist anymore. And that is very, very true because it's been a resurgence. Yep. The thing is that there's no like new record stores opening, or at least not that many. They they've existed forever. They these just are the ones that survived. Yeah, these yeah. are the ones that survived. And, and like, there's a reason pa- why. And but the thing pa- is, they still pa- don't advertise. Right. Exactly. And pa- and and Pat is a guy that comes in, you know, to my store, and he's buying, you know, the Tone Poet Blue Note reissues and things. You're not going to be able to get a Thelonious Monk record at Walmart. You know, ever. That's not going to happen. So, like, those, there, there are the things that are still exclusive to a store like mine to retain customers like Pat. But I, I just think it's so sad when people are like, oh, I'm going to go buy the new, you know, or whatever, a Metallica. I'm going to buy Master of Puppets at Walmart. Like, if you, I feel like if you would have, if you were to go back in time to 1986 and tell Metallica that the bulk of Master of Puppets was going to get sold at Walmart, they'd probably be like, what? You know? Yeah. yeah. I I mean, I don't, there was, there were, when I was a kid growing up, there was TSS, Times Square stores, and inside was Record World. All right. Record World was attached and part of TSS. It was a record store attached to it. It was all part of the same thing. So it was like big box store with a record store. 
That was a cool concept. If Walmart had like the record shop at Walmart, well, that's a different story. Now you're talking about a full-fledged record store with people that probably work there as nerdy as you and I about this right, stuff. Right. But they don't have that. No, they have records know? thrown on a shelf in a heap exactly. that are that have exclusive colors to them. And it's just, yep. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, it's not a right or a wrong situation, you know? It's, no, it just is. Right. But anyway, we've waxed poetic on this a little bit probably <laughs> too long because we're angry but this yes. is why people i guess have still been watching yeah so <laughs> and thank you for those that are really appreciate those that aren't watching look what i'm doing uh but you wouldn't see it because you're not watching so <laughs> right. it doesn't matter anyway but um, you feel better now that you did that oh wait no jeff brings up a point yeah the walmart exclusive that's and that's exactly yeah. what i'm referring just, to yeah yeah, yeah. Just come on, man. You know, like just uh, how exclusive can a record be at Walmart? I'm just saying there's like how many stores like well, 800 orange polka dots. Then you have to have it. I right. need to have the Walmart. Look, I have some Walmart albums. I do. I do. Because it's the only place I could have found them, you know, with certain certain things. Like I looked in my local stores first, mm -hmm. you know, so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll find it there. Whatever. I don't have many. I have like three. I've ended up with a couple, but I've never sought them out. That's what I'm saying. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, if it, but if it was something I really want, you know, like we all get into a mood where just like, I want this right now. I want yeah. this right now. Like, uh, all right. Well, they're open. Let me see if they're there. Right. You know, and sometimes just being there, you do business. But that's the open the doors and hope theory. And that really doesn't work worldwide. Mm -hmm. So it happens to work for Walmart because they're you Walmart. Buy, yeah, they're Walmart. You could buy a bunch of carrots, a TV, a Razor scooter, a PlayStation, a PlayStation and Metallica Master of Puppets on orange bubblegum vinyl. <laughs> so you got okay. it. I mean, there you go. Yeah. So anyway. <sighs> I feel better now. Yeah, good. Well, speaking of vinyl, what's coming out this week, man? We got this is a huge week. So obviously next week is is Record Store Day Black Friday, which I know we're going to we talk about. We're going to be talking about that. Yep. And and let me just say a little preview. Outside of the RSD titles, there's a bunch of great stuff coming out next week as well in addition to that stuff. But this week, obviously, the people trying to take, again, the dollars to buy out of the uh, RSD community, we got um jimmy hendrix live at the la forum april 26 1969 there, i was there <laughs> that's awesome you know what blew, you know what blew my mind about this though which i think people need to appreciate and you probably can say this more than anybody how gigantic the forum is and yeah. hendrix playing there in 1969 i mean that's got what does that hold 15 20 000? i mean it's a full-blown arena I right think it's between 18 and 20 yeah okay so that i mean that's that's huge at full capacity at, at like basketball capacity exactly so um completely remastered by um eddie kramer of course he's he's always got his uh hand in the cookie jar when it comes to hendrix it's out with uh on a two lp as well as a regular cd it comes with a book um i listened to the cd last night it's outstanding great performance by hendrix and it is the experience so uh the experience at full tilt uh great stuff always cool when some new hendrix comes out at, at the end of noel redding's tenure <laughs> correct right right at the end yeah right at the end but they're they play <laughs> great together i mean you can't you yeah. can't knock that no. uh for the metal people, Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, 40th anniversary coming out, includes three LPs, original album remastered with a change track list. How do you feel about that, Mike? 
Uh, well, it was supposed to be, from what I understand, it's it's what they intended the track list to be. They initially. say that now. Supposedly. But, yeah. But is it marketing? Is it real? Uh, well, the, it, it, the story has always been that they wanted to put Totally Clips on there. Uh, but it was. I think they say now they want to put it in place of Gangland, but clearly Gangland won out originally. Gangland uh, sucks. We've talked about that on the show before. Totally, I clips is a great my, fucking this song. Too. Sucks. I, fucking song. Look, I'm with you, but here's the thing. Gangland, ultimately, ultimately, man, man, man. Number of the Beast is one of, is one of, if not the most classic Iron Maiden record there is. So to fuck Probably, with it yeah. this far, this far in. It's a little ridiculous, but whatever. But at the same time, I mean, like, it's a way for bands to make money because they can't make money through streaming. So repackage what you have that actually sells. Every Iron Maiden fan will buy this. Yes, me included. John Byrne, John Byrne if he's watching, will buy 80 of them. I already have mine because nope. that's one of the perks of owning the store is I got mine yesterday. Um, so there you go. But it comes with the big thing here for Iron Maiden fans or for metal fans in general. It's the first time they are releasing Beast Over Hammersmith in its entirety on vinyl. So you get two LPs of live Beast Over Hammersmith, a great show from Iron Maiden in, the, in their one of the peaks of their career. Um, try uh, Trifold uh, packaging. It looks great. Um, so that's coming out. And then finally, because this is cover to covered, we have to talk about that Kiss, the 40th anniversary of Creatures of the Night, is coming out this week. Single LP configuration, three LP configuration, which is a Kiss Online exclusive. Kiss Online. And, of course, the Mega Box, five CDs and a Blu-ray, hardcover book, tons of extras. Um, looks uh, fantastic. Excuse me, Nick. Nick this is... <laughs> Gene Simmons, I, I haven't yet made an appearance on your show this week. And now that you've brought up the box set, I wanted to talk about that there is one other Kiss box. Uh, we call it the Vag set. And it's a very large hole in the middle of the record. It's very special. Uh, it is a pink vinyl, a very special pink vinyl. And we have a, a spindle attachment that doesn't not look like a penis. Uh, I can't say whether or not it's modeled after my penis, but it's penis with a K. Um, he had a silent, silent K in the penis. Um, kiss cock is what we were going to call it. But with there a was K. some rebellion with a K, of, of course. Uh, and we were going to call it uh, a vagina with a K, silent K as well. He had a fantastic um, quote this week. I don't know if you saw it. Somebody, they asked him, do you know when the end of the road tour is going to end? And he said, you know, we have picked a date and a city, but I will not release that information to you because you don't want to know what you're getting for Christmas in July. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's saying you don't want to spoil the surprise. He doesn't want to give the information away. Is what what kind saying. of surprise? It's going to end eventually. You know yeah, what it's, it's called? The end? end of the road tour. You know, Nick, I decided that um, when the tour is going to end is when I actually have a brain aneurysm on stage in the middle of my bass solo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm going <laughs> to say, oh, no. And <laughs> And go down, and then the blood will actually be real, and nobody will know the difference. <laughs> it's 
fantastic. <laughs> Anyways, the Creatures of the Night 40th anniversary comes out tomorrow. Single LP, which, by the way, since we love the niche stuff, on the single LP, the eyes of the four members of Kiss glow in the dark. So That was done on by design um, because they glow in real life. If you look at my eyes in certain light, there's a twinkle. There's also new releases from Billy Strings, Jason Isbell, Queen, The Rolling Stones, and many more. It's a huge, huge week. And uh, something from Jeff. There's a band called Enemy Eyes with a new album coming out tomorrow, and it's fucking amazing, which means it probably sucks. If Jeff, That's, I'll check that out. That sounds cool. Are we going to talk about what we've been listening to? Because I brought this down because I wanted to show it off. Go ahead. Do you well, thing, you and then we're gonna, do pick your well, one that you've been, been listening. I've to. been listening to audiobooks like crazy. I just finished listening to uh, the past week. I just listened to Eruption, the the Eddie Van Halen. Oh, it's uh, a great one. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that. Yeah, by uh, Brad Talinsky and Chris Gill, and uh, it is amazing. And the audiobook is cool because it ends with an actual. See, the thing I don't like about certain audiobooks is that the if, if this was done sort of interview style, so people play. The other guys in the bit, like they didn't come in to like or use the actual interviews. It's just people like acting. It's all voice actors. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird. It's like Eddie wouldn't have said that like that. He probably said that, but not in that way. Uh, but apart from that, though, it was great. At the end of it, there's an actual interview with Eddie about 1984. Yeah. So uh, that I thought was that I thought was pretty cool. So, yes, that's, super that's, what, cool. I, that's what I've been listening to. I love when the books, of course, are read by the author, even if they're not an autobiography. Like there's a great um, Tom Petty book by Warren Zanes that's read by him. And all of the information in that book was, you know, got by him. So he knows how to convey what they were saying, you know, in these interviews and stuff. So I really enjoy them. Um, And then, of course, if you go to like total classics like the Godfather and stuff, those are like basically performed. I love the audio (laughs) book thing, but. Um, yeah it's great whenever i take i take roger for a couple of walks that are like a mile to two miles long a night and uh i just put in the headphones and that's when i that's when i listen so yeah it's good love stuff. it what do you well, got? i i want to talk about this for all the audio files out there our oh, dream there we is, go. it's back our, again <laughs> our dream has finally come true and uh chat chat at acoustic sounds is uh of course always doing amazing reissues but i think he's reached the top of the mountain at this point going through doing all the steely dan albums can't say enough about the pressing quality just absolutely fucking mind-blowing outstanding um 2lp mastered at 45 on clarity vinyl 200 gram the packaging is outstanding you get this beautiful see that uh look at that mike wooden wooden dowel as your spine on that steely dan can't buy a thrill um (sighs) got a slip case but what i really want to point out because i think this is totally worth the price of admission is steely dan condoms (laughs) you know that is technically what it's named after medieval sex toy the jacket which is done i think at stout and pressing um so it's like 10 times thicker than an average lp jacket fully glossy got the gatefold there mimicking the original and it's numbered here at the bottom 
Uh, where is it? Hang on. I'm sorry. Yeah, right I there. See it. I see. It's hard I to see, see it. the number. It's number um, 666. <laughs> it's number uh, 3,275. Um, yeah. But the, the pressing quality is just outstanding. Is it one of them yes. clear, clear pressings too? Yes, yes. Okay. Two LPs on Clarity Vinyl. I can show that too. I guess it's sitting right here. I might as well show it. Um, comes with a booklet with liner notes from Donald Fagan. And they're doing this with like their first six or seven albums, right? All of their albums. They're oh, doing all it all up through the, well, up through Gaucho. They're doing yeah. so Clarity Vinyl. Um, and here's the thing. You know, people complain about the price. I get it. It is expensive. It's 150 but, bucks or whatever it is. Yeah, per, bucks per record but you know it's this is a complete case in point of you get what you pay for honestly yeah. i mean you get a lot for your money and if you have a great system these these sound just insane you know this is arguably probably the worst sounding of the steely dan records because it was their debut and they didn't have the budget they have on asia and royal scam and yeah not going to find that at walmart exactly um but the song Dirty Work, which is a big, you know, uh, radio hit for Steely Dan, you can hear the tip of the drumstick hitting the hi-hat. I yeah. mean, it's it's that the sound stage is that clear and and that that fantastic. But, but that doesn't work with everything, though, just letting you know. I mean, you need to have that sort of quality to begin with in the recording. It's not like exactly. Testaments, Testaments practice what you preach <laughs> yeah, would be like sound like that, you know. <laughs> So, exactly but yeah but if you see again and this is total nerdy shit but if you watch the videos of chad at acoustic sounds who makes me laugh sometimes because he's such a such a nerd but he does so much great stuff for the vinyl and the audiophile community um you see how much effort and time and money honestly is put into to these things you know he's got bernie grudman doing all the mastering with from the original master tapes on these and uh it's just absolutely outstanding if you're a steely dan fan you gotta buy them as chad always says buy now or cry later because because once it's gone you're gonna pay triple and jeff i knew you were gonna pick up on that i was trying to think of a different way to say the tip of the drumstick but, but just the tip so. just the tip so <laughs> i can't say enough about it i'm gonna get all of them yes it's pricey but i feel it's completely worth it and i, I love all those all records them. i am you're gonna get asia, asia. i'm yep. gonna get asia that is what I'm getting because the rest of the money is going to go towards all those David Lee Roth uh, era uh, uh, MoFi. Uh, okay, Van but Halen it goes albums. back to this: the MoFi One Step Van Halens are going to be from a digital source. This is analog source, so I, I'm no, not it's being not, a snob. And I can hear the difference. I'm not being a snob because I want to get the David Lee Roth Van Halen ones too. But I'm just saying right. this is if you watch. I sent you that video of Chad and Bernie Grudman going yep. over the master tapes, mm -hmm. and this is literally. They, you know, they're, they're master tape to lathe on these yeah. and, uh, and they change the stamp route every thousand records. So, I mean, you're get this is the purest form. You can hear this stuff unless you had a copy of the master tape. So it's funny since they change it every thousand records, anybody's got like a 900 record. Like, oh, it's not worth as much. Mine's a 150. It sounds better. I can tell. I don't think you would be able to know because I'm sure those jackets are just dropped in at random, you yeah, know, probably. but anyway. All right. So with all that said, great. Moving on to today's topic. Yes.
Alright, so we're doing this in at least two parts. It might be three. All depending on how long it takes us to get through this one and how many we can get through because I don't want this to go three hours long. So we're talking about Rush. Why are we talking about Rush? Because Rush is awesome and yeah, Rush is my favorite band and yeah, so there's that. But we're doing this um, because it needs to be done, number one. Number two, Nick and I both just went through the audiobooks of, uh, that were written by Martin Popoff. Yep. Of uh, Anthem, Limelight, and what was the third one called? Uh, fuck, Driven, maybe. Driven, yeah, it's like the '90s and beyond. So uh, that one so, I haven't re- I haven't listened to yet. Ah, you need to do that. I listen to all of them, so there. Yes. Yeah, yeah so, you got through um, it quick. Yeah, I, I walk my dog a lot, and I run. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through every studio album. We're not going to go through the live albums because they're multiplying like rabbits. Yeah. Uh, there's just, <laughs> it's, that would be like 45 fucking albums at this point. And we're going to start, oh, Conchetta saying finally on that. Yeah, we're going to talk about Rush. The minute I Sorry, well, we've Rush, been off for three weeks. We've been off for three weeks. We had we to do had some to catch catching up, up on things. And look, the minute I mentioned Rush, like three people left. So <laughs> like, like, okay. Um, anyway. We're going to do it as sort of a tribute to their R40 tour. And their R40 tour, what they did is they played songs from almost every one of their albums, not all of them, but almost every one of their studio albums in reverse order. So they started with songs from Clockwork Angels and finished up with songs from their self-titled debut. Now, the tour was amazing. It was an amazing tour. Uh, and we're not going to get through all of them tonight. That's why this is part one. We're going to try to get through signals. We're going to try. What the hell is going on behind you? He's eating your hat again. Uh, it's not my hat. It's some crinkly toy. And I'm like, what the hell? It sounded like he was peeing. and He's not. So anyway. You know what we should have done, Mike? Now that I'm thinking what? in hindsight, maybe we could still do this. We should have done it just like the books where we do the, the 2000s and the 90s and then an episode on the 80s and then an episode on the 70s. Because the fucking episode on the 70s is going to be two hours long. Probably. Well, we'll see what we get through because, I mean, there were like three studio albums in the 2000s. But they well, were all 2000s great. 2000s to 2012. Uh, and then there were like two or three in the 90s. You know, there were, there were lots of strife. <laughs> there was, there was, there was four records in the 90s, wasn't there? I mean, it doesn't uh, matter. Whatever. Three. Three. Okay. Well, Presto was 89. Right. Yeah, that's so, right. Okay. Um, so anyway... We'll get through what we can, but we're going to start off with their last, their final epic, and I'm going to call it an epic because it's actually a full concept album. Yes. Uh, and that's Clockwork Angels. Uh, and if you watched the, if you were around when I, when I, when we did the, uh, when we did the intro, we actually had all the covers, in, you know, in reverse order. Uh, yeah, Clockwork Angels uh, was their last album. Uh, it came out in 2012, and it was really good it was amazing honest it didn't get as much credit as it probably should have now the last two albums they made they made with a with a different producer it was nick raskalinix and he came from like working with foo fighters and things of that nature so um it's you know his his whole thing nick's whole thing was let's just make this heavy again Mm -hmm. right because nick comes from that you know, he's a young guy. He's like a year older than me. And, and just we share a lot of that. I've gotten to meet Nick. I've been in his studio. I've watched him work. He's a really cool guy. 
and it was awesome to hang out with him for a while. And, I'm, and we talked about Rush and him recording Rush, and it was it was it was pretty nifty. So, um, but at the end of the day, this album did not get as much credit, I think, as it probably should no. have. Uh, and a lot of people didn't know that it was actually a full concept album based off a novel. If you if you went to see uh, the R40 tour, of course, was the last thing they did. But right, almost directly right behind that was the Clockwork Angels tour. And if you went to that tour, I'm assuming you did because they're your favorite band. But I saw that tour as well, and it it was evident how proud of this record they were because yeah. they played. 80% of it. I mean, yep. it was with a with an orchestra with or a orchestra. small orchestra, yeah. small orchestra, but still, I mean, they they put a lot of effort into this material. And yep. if again, if you're not familiar with the Rush timeline, after um Snakes and Arrows, it was kind kind of unclear if they were ever going to make another record. Yep. And if you went to the Time Machine tour, which I think was like 2010, 2011, they yeah. Yeah, they started playing Caravan and Brought Up to Believe, which were new songs, but nobody knew, are, are they just making these two songs? Because those actually came out as an RSD single, those yeah. two songs. And, and uh, not not coincidentally, they're the first two songs on the album, too. Exactly. So exactly. They're listed, they're listed as Caravan and BU2B. Yes. Is what it's called. The letter B, the letter U, number two, and B. Brought but I remember believe. seeing that Time Machine tour, which, of course, they played all the moving pictures, but... They, them saying oh we have these two new songs it was a big fucking deal because it yeah. was like oh you, you weren't sure if rush was going to make any more new music so that was a nice lead off because especially but to be brought up to believe is is a heavy tune it's a heavy riff they were on that path already and caravan's great too yeah. but clockwork angels the lead off track i remember when the album got announced was headlong flight yeah and a seven minute sing single and but to me i remember running home and like playing that for my dad who's like an old school rush fan through and through but once they got into the 80s the more keyboard based stuff he he jumped ship but i remember going you got to hear this cuz it sounded like 70s rush yeah there's you know headlong flight is very much that kind of song um caravan is is very much that kind of song and and b2b has really heavy parts in it yes not the whole song it's a driving song but there are a couple of parts in there just like you know dun, 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 like very plodding like very big so uh, i it's was the heaviest rush ever got in my opinion in terms of tone and feel um hang on one second would you stop it already he's like Come fuck on, clockwork man. angels your balls over there. Enjoy. Thank you. Jesus. Um, he's just being like really a ball buster tonight because I haven't really played with him today. So he's like, yeah, you're being a dick. Um, but yeah, Clockwork Angels, a couple of things. Uh, and actually, I, I made him. It's not based on a, no a novel was based on the album. Yes. Yeah. So but the 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 album was based on. A lot of things were pulled from different novels. Like Neil Peart, we all know, was like a, was an avid reader. So like little things were pulled from like different different authors, and he based different songs off different books that he read. So really, it's like each song is sort of a novel in and of itself. And then somebody actually said, "Listen, I'm going to write a novel about this." Yeah. So it all sort of came out around the same time. 
but yeah and and a couple of things about the artwork if you look it's you know obviously it's a if you look at the front it's a clock and it's set to 9 12 p.m and in military time that's 21 12 that's so fantastic. They do a lot of that really cool stuff. Hugh Syme, who designed most of their covers. Almost all of them. That, almost all of them designed that cover, and that was that was a big deal. So just finding those little, like, hidden Easter eggs in it. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, Headlong Flight, definitely, you know, we're going to put a playlist together for this, but the three songs that I would call off, and I'm sure you would agree, uh, Caravan, B-U-T-B, and Headlong Flight. Like, those three are are pretty solid. Yes. The Anarchist is good, too. Yeah, I was going to uh, say the anarchist would be right there too. Yeah. But if we had a fourth, it would yeah. it would be that one. But I think those 3 are definitely awesome, especially in Headlong Flight cuz there's like a huge like there's no Neil Peart drum solo in like any song really. This is the closest you get. Yeah. Cuz he does a huge snare fill that goes on for like 30 seconds and you're like this is amazing. He's fantastic. So um so yeah. Uh, those 3 would be those 3 would be the the 3. It, uh, to me, what a uh, what an exclamation point on a fantastic discography. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to go out, that's a way to go out. You know, I do think, though, that if Neil was still around, they they may not have toured more, but they would have made more music. I I would I'd like to think so. I no, guess we'll I never know, though. Them. Yeah, we won't. And it may not have been like. Yeah, it may have been in this day and age, you know, you're releasing like three songs at a time and making an EP. It probably would have been that kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah, we just wrote three songs. Cool. Here, put them out. You know? Well, and I, I like that's what I was saying. I think I, I remember thinking like Caravan and B-U-T-B to be were um, was going to be it. I thought yeah. that was it. Like they were just they just put those songs together and we better enjoy them. And then here came this record. Well, that's Clockwork Angels. That was the last studio album that they had done now the one before that came out in 2007 and that was snakes and arrows now for me snakes and arrows was a real turn back to heavy because the one prior to that was vapor trails vapor Mm -hmm. trails kind of (laughs) sucked but we'll talk about that next so they have this new energetic. It's the first album that Nick Raskolinix did with them. He was like really energetic, wanted to get them back to the heavy stuff again. Alex really was playing a lot of acoustic guitar, too, and it's all over this album. Is it a great album? No. Is it a good album? It's pretty yes. good. Yeah. You know, it's pretty good. For me... For me, it holds. I I have a special place in my heart for Snakes and Arrows because it was the first time I saw Rush live, and and I saw him twice on that tour. They played Detroit twice, and uh, yeah, again, Rush was always a band that like they loved their new records when they were out touring them. So you would hear, you know, a third to half of the record, and so there was songs on the on that record like Working Them Angels and uh, and of course Far Cry that were like. They, I loved them because I was hearing new Rush and I was seeing them play for the first time. But in the big scheme of things, yeah, I'd agree. It's it's a good record. Yeah. As much as I love Rush and I think they're great musicians, there are three instrumentals on this album. That seems a lot. Um, they're making they were making up for time when they didn't have instrumentals on some other albums, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's the main monkey business, hope and malignant narcissism. Now, 
they would play live. They would play Main Monkey Business and Malignant Narcissism. They played those on that tour. Malignant Narcissism is a good instrumental. The other two are okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're okay. Hope is is pretty much an acoustic guitar. Um and and uh, main monkey business is just kind of like slow. And if I'm listening to an instrumental, I want it to be like upbeat. I want it to be like let's go. You know, you want it to be like YYZ. You want it to be like YYZ. You want it to be like where's my thing? You want it to be like let that you know leave that thing alone. Like you want those kind of cool upbeat instrumentals. Main monkey business a little slow. Far Cry is in my top three favorite Rush songs of all time. It's a great one. It is so good because it has. It just ha- like has like great emotion in the song, really well written hooky chorus, um, and they they wrote that in the studio, like that came together in like a day, and that was what was brilliant about it is just like wow, we just kind of put this thing together and it's freaking amazing, and they sound like like they they perform on that song like they're having fun. You right. Know, you just you can feel when somebody's like enjoying what they're doing. All three of them sound like they're having a blast. And to kick off the album like that, real great. It's uh, clear working, evidence of the rush uh chemistry. Yeah. And then for me, as as far as other songs on the album, Spindrift. I love that song. That's heavy as all get out. Um, there is some, you know, filler on on the album. Uh personally, I'm not a big fan of working the Mangels. Um it doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. It doesn't. Me. It doesn't. It's just sort of, but they played it every show. Right. Um, and it just wasn't my thing, you know. Um, but Spindrift and Far Cry and Malignant Narcissism, like those three would be my picks from this album. I don't know if you agree, but. Yeah. Um, I'd say Far Cry for sure is, is yeah. it's classic Rush. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a great song. And I think that that is why people connect with that record is that song pretty much. I mean, it's because it is that good. And the, the chorus, the lyrics in the chorus, you know, one day I feel I'm on top of the world and the next it's falling in on me. Like we can all relate to that. You know, one day I feel I'm ahead of the wheel and the next it's rolling over me. It, we all can connect with that. We all can relate to that a hundred percent. So, uh, so yes, that was, uh, that's, uh, snakes and arrows again. Uh, that's the penultimate, uh, rush studio album. Uh, let's see. The one before that was uh, Feedback. Now, Feedback, we'll just touch on really quick. Feedback was seven song cover album. Uh, they yes. were bored. <laughs> like, yeah, let's just do this. And, you know, they, they played Yardbird songs. They played uh, uh, um, uh, Buffalo the, Springfield, Buffalo uh, Springfield, The Who. Well, sort of the who. Well, they played the seeker. The, oh, they played the seeker. Yeah. But then they also the, the single was Summertime Blues, which was a great version, you know, originally done by Eddie Cochran, but they took Blue Cheers version and they took the Who version and mashed it up. Yes, and which is they continued super to perform cool. that. Yeah, they continued to perform that live for years after because people really liked it. But in the end, that was the only one that really kind of came through as awesome. Productions kind of it's a little bland but one i want to give them props on because i i picked this as a discovered um at one point but by deep purple seven dan seven is which is by love originally they do a fantastic version of that the drumming on that song on the original is fucking incredible so getting to hear not just neil neil pert and ian pace play it like i love that song and i it's just a constant snare roll 
Yes. Like through the whole song. Yes. <laughs> through the whole song. Like, don't you get tired? Yeah. Uh, so. I thought that was a cool because by uh, Deep Purple only did it like two years ago. So Rush doing it that long ago, I thought that was really yeah. cool because that's kind of it's a deep cut song, you know, a very deep cut from a deep cut band. Like, really, yeah. like a lot of people don't know love. Not saying no. you don't know. I know love. I know love, but the band love people. The band really love that their album forever changes is one of the best fucking records of all time. It's a fucking record. It yes. Well, that's good. I should get it. Arthur Lee, song. man. I've got like fifty different versions of that record. Maybe not that many, but I've got at least ten different versions of that record. You have all the variants. Not just variants, but like the mono mix, the original stereo mix, the original mono mix, the MoFi version, the 50th anniversary version. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's that's enough. So from feedback, I'm sure we would pick uh, "Summertime Blues" and seven is, uh, seven and seven and seven is." Yes, um, and we'll put both of those on that on that uh, on that playlist. All right, keep going backwards here. Now, 2002. This was an emotional album for them to make in a lot of ways. This is Vapor Trails. Now, why was it so emotional for them to make? Five years prior, nobody knew if Rush existed mm-hmm. anymore because those of you that are fans, you know this. Those of you that aren't, Neil Peart had back-to-back tragedies happen in his life. So first of all, his daughter, his only child, was involved in a single car accident and died. Within a year, his wife developed cancer and died. So it was bad enough that his daughter disappeared, but now, like the the gr- the person you're grieving with and getting through it also gets sick and dies. And as Neil said, she died of a broken heart, not of cancer. So yeah. it's really, really kind of sad. Yeah. Um. But they everybody went quiet. And how could Russia. you not? I mean. Everybody went quiet. Like Rush went went quiet, and then Neil disappeared. And Neil went on a huge like motorcycle thing, uh, where he was riding like fifty thousand miles a year, like on his motorcycle, going all over North America and Mexico and whatever, and taking the back roads and not riding on the main roads as much as possible, and just finding the cheapest motels to stay in and the cheapest restaurants to eat in where he wouldn't get recognized and just to be away from everybody. And uh, oh, when they finally got back together, it was like, uh, are they going to do this? Okay. And that's totally encapsulated in the opening song, which is called One Little Victory. And it's I had that on to, my list. Yeah. It's hard not to listen to that song and get a little like little, you know, a little emotional pulling at the heartstrings a bit because you know what that means if you know the inner workings of Rush in that way. So, uh, yeah, One Little Victory is great. The rest of the album, though, <laughs> not so good and not so good for a couple of reasons. First of all, there are a couple of decent songs on there. Ghost Rider. Which I was going to say, I like yeah. Ghost Rider. Yeah. Ghost Rider is great. That kind of details Neil's, you know, Neil's riding around. He was the Ghost Rider. Like, you know, I'm invisible and I'm just riding around and doing my thing. Um, how it is is a nice sort of like lighthearted, you know, melodic thing. Uh, Earth Shines Okay. Part four of Fear. If you know anything about Rush, there were part there were three parts of Fear, and they added part four of Fear. It's called Freeze. It's okay. 
Um, the the mix sucked. The mix sucked so bad they hated it at the time. And then they had it remixed at the time and it still sucked to the point where they had it remixed like years later and then reissued the album. Yeah, like 10 years after, yeah. Yeah. So, and it still sucked. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. They were happier with it, but they, they they were happier with it. They were never fully happy with that. I mean, it's well, not Patrick, a strong record, but it's it's one of yeah. those things that like Again, I think for Rush fans, it was just like, at least there's a new Rush record. You know what yeah, I mean? At that, least that was, Rush is yeah. a thing. Yeah. And, and look, and does, does that thing, album have Resist on it? Uh, no, Resist is on the the one prior on Test. For okay. Uh, yeah, I love that song. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good tune. We'll talk about Test for Rocco, which Test for Rocco really kind of sucks too. But there are some highlights. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like I'm not a fan of Vapor Trails. Like I can't listen. I cannot listen to that whole album. I can listen to songs here and there, and I find myself more than any other album, almost more than any other album. There's one other uh, where I fast forward. You skip the songs, you know, it's just it's not. And, and I know we're not talking about live records, but like some of those songs are better on Russian Rio because they've oh, been playing yeah. them. They've been yeah. playing them, not, you know, for I, I don't yeah. know where it falls in the tour, but let's say a year in. So some of those songs have gotten some energy. And like you mentioned, Earthshine, Earthshine on the record is not very good. And even live, it's not that great. But like that version on Russian Rio, they're kind of killing it on yeah. there. Because yeah, it's the yeah. second song, they play it right after Tom Sawyer, yep. and uh, it's 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 sweet. I, you know, I like I love that. That was the first Rush DVD I had. So again, yeah. it's like I those <laughs> songs have like found a special place for me because I have I have personal experience to them. But there you go. Um. So as far as what I would pick, and you may have different choices. One little victory in Ghost Rider, and that's pretty much it. That's what I had. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's all for Vapor Trails. Um, if you're going to listen to one of them, I, I can't say which one you should listen to more because I didn't like the mix of either one, whether the original or the remix. I the think remix the is better. The remix is only better because they didn't pin the level. It sounds like the levels are pinned mm -hmm. on the original, but there's a lot of breakup. But I kind of miss a little of that in the remix. Like it sounds a little bit too it's not like loud enough. It's not loud enough and you can you can hear all the instruments as opposed to feeling fuller. It's almost like more like too articulate. I don't know. But anyway, listen and make your own choice. They're both on Apple Music. If you have Apple Music, you can listen to both. Listen to them back to back, you know, and just if you can stuff. make it through it twice. Well, listen to one little victory back to back. How about that? <laughs> there you go. There That's you go. There you go. Because one little fair. victory, I think, is solid. Oh, no, that that song is great. And it was a staple in there in their uh up to the last tour yeah up to the last tour yeah uh in fact it's sort of like far cry senior yeah uh, in a lot of ways when i heard far cry i thought it sounds like one little victory it does but it lyrically does. far cry is better way better and i like the song better overall too just like headlong flight is sort of like a, a revisited version of uh of bastille day yep uh right in the beginning of it too it sort of starts out like bastille day um Cool. So going back to the album before that, which was the 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 studio album, I should say, before that, it's Test for Echo. Now, they, um, Peter Collins produced this record. He produced 
Power Windows, mm-hmm. and he produced Hold Your Fire. And Hold Your Fire is where things I started, like, everything Things came, came off the rails. The rails. <laughs> um, so, and it was like the first Rush album not to go platinum in a while and blah, blah, blah. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But he had time to think, and they brought him back. They brought him back for Counterparts and for Test for Echo. And they really liked working with Peter. They enjoyed working with Peter Collins. Peter Collins is like known for like working with like Elton John. Uh, he produced Operation Mindcrime uh, by by uh, Queensrÿche. By Queensrÿche, and he's but he's mainly a pop guy, essentially. Uh, I actually got to meet Peter because a band I was working with called Ultra Spank. He was a producer on their album, one of their albums. So, and great guy, really nice guy. Um, but. I don't know if the songs are really all that strong on this album, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. You know, again, the title track, Test for Echo, good tune. And it you're like, all right, cool. We're in it. We're going in a heavier direction. You're hearing Alex. It's chunky. It sounds more like rock rush. Yes. To which started on counterparts. But I think Test for Echo, it sort of comes to fruition of like back to just being a pretty straightforward rock band. Yeah. Yep, where they were just like using keyboards to highlight things as mm-hmm. opposed to be the main deal. Yes. Um, but the album does start off well. Test for Echo, Driven in Half the World. Driven is outstanding. I think Driven is awesome. Driven's great. And it's and this is you gotta also understand this is when Neil had gone through like this whole like relearning how to play drums again, not because he forgot, but he just broke down his style. He came back, he was playing traditional grip as opposed to matched grip, which if you're a drummer, you know what that means. It's more of like a classic jazz style of playing where you're bouncing your right, uh, your left hand stick off the snare as opposed to hitting it in a way. You're using it, drawing textures and things of that nature. And you can hear it because, you know, as he would say, you know, like the, the, the guys in Russia would be like, well, it sounds like you, but it feels different. You know, so it was very different. The driven really epitomized that. I think that really showed off this new. It's got that weird style. bounce. Yeah, happening. exactly. It's yeah. like it's like like a like it is a not a shuffle. It's a bounce. Yeah. Um, which have- which let's take a little sidebar here because sure. when you're talking about it, there's one thing because I think when you're when you play an instrument you're always striving to be better and better yeah. and you pick up things from people. You're talking about arguably the greatest technical drummer that's ever held a pair of sticks. Yep. You know, it, we, you, when we did our drummer episode, obviously John Bonham is like, you know, my biggest influence. And I think he is the best rock drummer of all time. But right under him is Neil for me. And I know for a lot of people, Neil is number one. So I think it's so mind blowing for a guy of that level and that technical ability to go. I'm going to go because you got to you got to go all the way back to square one to start relearning how to play drums like that, because it's hard to do. It's hard to play match grip or uh, traditional grip. It's extremely hard. Yeah. And for a guy like that, who had that much power and that much technical prowess to go all the way back and go. I'm going to start playing like this now, or let me at least see what this is all about. Because if you saw Russian concert, he would switch. He would go yeah. back and forth between match and traditional grip. It which depend- is, and it depended on the era that he was playing the song from, which is so, insane too, because yeah. how your brain works. And Matt had that great comment a minute ago yeah. about, about Neil. That's 
completely it. I mean, I think you just see his ability. This, I mean, this goes way past Rush as a band. I mean, this is Neil as a person is just so he just had such a grip, pardon the pun on his craft. And I think that's what people love about Neil Peart so much is that he was the real deal. You know, I mean, you could, you had to, you have to appreciate going all the way back to square one as the, one of the greatest drummers of all time and going, I'm going to start over essentially. I've influenced like 90% of everybody playing drums after 1974. And I don't think I'm that good. I need to go back and learn more and get better. And he got better. That's the did. fucking craziest thing. Because if if all you had from Neil Peart was fucking all the world's a stage, you'd be like, this guy's amazing, right? Yeah. Like, but, but then to, listen to Russian Rio. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. To go 20 years ahead and be at the level he was at. I mean, it just, you cannot overstate how great Neil Peart was behind the kit. You just cannot do it, you know? Um, so driven again, sort of epitomizes that new clock at work, that new bounce, that different feel that Freddie Gruber taught him. Yeah. Um, and then the third song on the album is half the world. So half the world's a great tune as well, even though it's a little slower, but it's got like a really cool rock and mid section to it. Those three songs started off pretty well. And then the album fell off a cliff. (laughs) And it didn't just fall off a cliff. It fell off a cliff and it hit some rocks along the way. And it, it bounced. And, and the car exploded like a James yeah, Bond film in the totally, 60s. Absolutely. Um, but I do love Resist. Well, I was going to say culminating the, uh, the, 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 the destruction of the car is virtuality. That song is, I'm sorry, the lyrics are terrible. They're just absolutely god all net boy, net girl, send your signal around the world, put your message in a modem, and throw it in the cyber sea. Yeah, not good. Not good. Now, it did not age well, I don't think. Uh, it wasn't he, good at the time, so it's really yeah. not good now. Uh, but Resist was the song after that. And mm-hmm. Resist, there's redemption there. Yeah. And they would, uh, when they would play Resist live, it was right after Neil's solo. So Neil would do his solo when, when they would play Resist. They would play, Neil would play his solo, and then it was just Getty and Alex, acoustic guitar. That's it. And they would yeah. do, do an acoustic version of Resist, which actually I think was actually better. Yeah, much better, yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, it, it, that, was, that was pretty awesome seeing that. But I mean, most of the album, though, to me, it's just sort of like, Eh, you know, um, is it better than vapor trails? Is it better than vapor trails? Cause we just mentioned four solid songs on this record with where vapor trails. We had two. I would it, from that aspect. Yes. But the bad songs on test Freco are way, way bad. Right. So it's like, uh, it's, it's a close, it's a neck and neck race, but test Freco is probably a little bit better than, than vapor trails, you know? And look, Vapor Trails was a really tough album for them to make. They were just getting their legs back underneath them again. You're writing songs with like new emotions and, uh, you know, it's, it's got to be difficult. So, you know, um, oh, wait, wasn't Dog Years on an episode of This Song Sucks? I don't know. I don't remember that. It might have been. I didn't call that one out. 
I know that for I sure. didn't. I didn't either. Yeah. I've called out Rush songs, and we're about to get, we're going to get to that album soon enough where I, I really hate this fucking album. Um, but we're not there yet. We're close. All right. So, yeah. So, Test for Echo will rank slightly above, slightly above uh, 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 Vapor Trails. So, we'll go with, how about Test for Echo, Driven, Driven. and Resist? Yeah, I would say, yeah, Those absolutely. Three. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, prior to that is one of my favorite Rush albums. And I didn't give it its due when it first came out, and I really like it now, and that's Counterparts. I know nothing off of this record other than Stick It Out. Stick It... All right, first off, this is their first album back with Peter Collins, and they had Kevin Shirley as their engineer. Now, Kevin Shirley, they call him Caveman. Um, He is from, like, the Led Zeppelin plug it in and turn it up school of guitar. Hang on a second, though, but he's also from the school of uh, let me compress the fuck out of everything because I, the, the amount of great records that Kevin Shirley has produced, because like you're saying, at this point, he was only the engineer. Yeah. He gets great tones, but I don't understand why everything is so loud. It's like, listen, the last because eight loud. Iron Maiden records, they're, they're, it turns into a, just a brick wall. He yeah. does. It's like the shit is recorded so loud that you can't master it, and the and that it was an issue on the Iron Maiden records. It was an issue on the uh, Black Country Communion records, and I think it starts happening on this record on Counterparts. Well, if you listen to Stick It Out, that the guitar is in your fucking face. Yes, like it is in your face. The album starts off with Enemy, which is a great tune in and of itself, and they played that a lot over the years live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's the first time you kind of hear like Neil count something in, which is kind of cool. And I love the drum sound on this record because it sounds like it was done in a great big room. It's not like individual mics on everything. Neil didn't like that. No. Uh, but I like it. I think it gave this album a very unique sound. And it is very uh, dry in a lot of ways. And I like that, too. And on this album, and if you ever watch Beyond the Lighted Stage, both Kevin Shirley and Alex talk about it, they would want to beat the shit out of each other during the making of this album. Alex is like, I want to use my pedals. Kevin's like, no, you sound terrible with pedals. (laughs) Stop. Stop with the pedals. Stop with the fucking pedals. Just stop. We're just going to... No, I want reverb. No, you sound like shit with reverb. And they would... And they finally... And they props drink. to Kevin Shirley for that, because yeah. it's like who... Because he was their, nobody. That's what I'm saying. And who in their right mind would tell Alex Lyson he yep. sucks doing anything? Yeah, he's like, I hate the way... And he wasn't even a big Rush fan, which is what I think actually helped. Yeah. Because he didn't, like, listen to the past. He was like, all right, no, this is what we want. And again, he's very. he was, like, very much a Led Zeppelin fan. Like, just, like, that kind of guy. Uh, drier than Betty White's crotch. I actually said that. He says ball breaker. I actually said that about ACDC stiff upper lip. That go. record is the driest production in the history of mankind. So so him and Alex went to a bar and finished. They literally said five bottles of scotch. God, can you and, imagine how fucked up he'd be? Well, they came to an understanding, though. That's like and, us after a handful of... Uh, Cadillac margaritas, Mike. There you go, which we shall be doing in April. Uh, but, yeah, so they they worked it all out, and I think that this is probably one of the, like, he got him to play Les Pauls again as opposed to PRS. There's nothing against PRS, but he got him to play his Les Pauls again. It's a ballsier sound overall. And really, 
I think this was the big turning point as far as tone, because it, it defined everything else going forward for Alex yep. in so many ways. Um, and an and, understanding between the three of them in terms of like where the keyboard sat yes. and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. So you don't know much about this album. I know a ton about this album and I, I've listened to it backwards and forwards a billion times. Um, they played a lot of these songs live for years. Like Animate, they would play on and off for three years. Stick It Out, they played a bunch uh, for years. Nobody's Hero is one of their favorite songs because um, Neil wrote the lyrics about a friend of his that he befriended in England uh, that was gay when it wasn't cool to be gay. Not like, I don't know if it's cool to be gay or not, but it was like not accepted. Right. And he taught him a lot about that. And then another uh, uh, family friends, their daughters... One of their daughters uh, was, I think, it was two families, and both of their daughters were killed by some like serial killer or something like that. Wow! And he knew the families, and so yeah, and so that's what it's 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 really heavy. Like that song's super heavy as far as lyrics. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the, that's that's a it's a good tune, but for me, I, you know, stick it out and a song called "Between Sun and Moon," which uh, brought back Pai Dubois uh, to write lyrics with Neil. So uh, Pai Dubois w- wrote. Um, helped write a lot of the hits. <laughs> Tom yes. Sawyer, Closer to the Heart, uh, and and a couple other tunes. That I were think not Free Will. Hits. No, he didn't write Free Will. He didn't write Free Will. No, nope. definitely Tom Sawyer though. Yeah, um, and he you know contributed a bit for Between Sun and Moon. And I just like the song. I think it's just a cool, cool tune. It's got a great chorus. You can sing along with it. And it's there's really no words. It's ah, yes to yes and ah to ah to yes and all that. Uh, oh, Gall McCartney's here. His favorite song is Diane Sawyer. So, yeah. Uh, he's, you have he's to right. appreciate, Mike, that Trailer Park Boys scene. When they, I, I haven't seen it. Oh, my God, dude. Okay, real quick. This, this is... This is I'll the watch greatest. it. We're running out of time. No, this is the greatest inside joke ever. Okay. They kidnap Alex Lifeson, and while he's in the trailer, Ricky says, Hey, Alex, play I Like to Rock. And Alex goes, That's April Wine. And then Ricky goes, Well, I don't give a fuck. Play that Diane Sawyer song then. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So since you don't know much about this album, um, there are a lot of great songs on this album. Cold Fire, Leave That Thing Alone, which is a great instrumental. Really, really good instrumental. They, all, they played that a lot, too. Yeah, they played that a lot. And it actually calls back to Where's My Thing, which is on Roll the Bones, which is what we're going to talk about next. So there's actually callbacks to that in this one. But this is a better instrumental. Uh, animate, Stick It Out, Cut to the Chase, Between Sun and Moon, Alien Choice, okay. Double Agents, cool. It's different. Cold Fire, like I said, Everyday Glory is good. So many great songs on this album. If I had to pick three, stick it out for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave that thing alone. And I'd be torn on the third. It's either Nobody's Hero or Animate. And I, I think would just say to Animate. Be, I was going to go just to be a little bit different. I think I might do Nobody's Hero. I'll defer to you because you're the bigger Rush fan. I, I like Animate more, but nobody's. we don't have like like a melodic Rush song in here yet. Everything's been pretty driving. And Nobody's Hero is actually a really good tune. And it kind of shows off their more melodic side. So um, so we'll put that on the playlist. Maybe there'll be four songs. Who knows? Um, all right. Going back to 19, all the way back to 1991. We're yeah. going to hit you with Roll the Bones. <laughs> Roll the Bones also uh, 
this is one of two albums that was produced by Rupert Hine. Um, Rupert Hine did something really good with Presto, even though the album kind of sounds like shit. Um, He he got them to stop playing as much keyboard. (laughs) Yes. And which is awesome. And that continued on Roll the Bones, though still keyboards were there. Uh, It started turning in the right direction. Counterparts that came after, like I said, that really was set the tone going forward. There's almost like three eras of Rush, right? So you have like counterparts to the end. You have signals to roll the bones and then rush well the really album. fly really fly by night fly by to, night but to moving let's pictures. say rush to moving pictures yeah. so uh those are sort of like the three eras of rush uh and and in thinking of that i i you know i think we may just stop at presto yeah um because we're running it we're running long and we can stop i knew we were going to yeah well actually we'll stop after this one we'll stop after roll the bones here's the thing half already here's the thing with roll the bones I used to despise the song Roll the Bones. Something about it, like when I saw they, they played it every time I saw them, I'm pretty sure. Maybe not on Time Machine, but they played it definitely on uh, R40, definitely on Snakes and Arrows, and I'm pretty sure on the Clockwork Angels tour. Um, I used to not like it, but what I've come to appreciate, again, Neil and his lyrics, I actually love the lyric why are we here because we're here because that's that's something that obviously has been debated till the you know the cows come home about why are we here and it's like could it be that simple that why are we here because we're here yeah you know like that's that's it's pretty i think that's powerful shit and uh i think it's a great song you know you talk about melodic rush and hit oriented rush i think it's a great song the rap part in the middle is a little fucking annoying but it's still a great song and uh the the sonics of that song and the record overall because uh the other song i love on it is dreamline the Mm. son the sonics of this record again like you're saying about counterparts it's the turning point of going back to being a rock band yeah so there's, I, there's, you know, definitely parts of that that got them to that point from the 80s in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were like drips of things from Presto that they pulled up into this, like face up, you know, face up is kind of like like a happy poppy almost sort of tune that would have been perfectly fine if it was on Presto. It sounds like it was written for Presto and then they just didn't use it. But that's not the case because anything Rush writes, they put out. Like yep. they only, they're like that band. Like, there's well, no outtakes on these there's box no sets. There's nothing. <laughs> it's not like, well, here's the five songs that we did demos for we never used. It's, no, they just ditch it if they didn't use it, um, which I found really interesting to find out by by listening to those books. So, yes. Um, but, you know, Roll the Bones, the middle part, the rap part, that was actually Neil. Um. You have a white Canadian guy in his 40s rapping. Nothing good is going to come out of it. No. <laughs> no. Um, so there's that. Um, but as far as like, you know, production on the album, it was a bigger production than Presto. Um, 
it doesn't sound dated to me. The keyboards sound dated, but the, the sonics of the dated, yeah. but the sonics of the record don't sound dated. If well, that makes sense. Uh, I love I, the I, drum sound on that record. I think ah, I think his snare sounds thin. It sounds like somewhere between a piccolo snare and a you know something also or small. a sample. Yeah. yeah, it's you know which he wouldn't use samples. You know no. that would never be a thing, but. <laughs> Excuse me. But one thing that I really did like is that this is where the instrumental started coming back. And Where's My Thing is actually a really, really good instrumental. I like Leave That Thing Alone better, but Where's My Thing is actually a really cool one because it starts off with sort of like a like a swing shuffle sort of thing with like, you know, uh, uh, really odd guitar chords, um, you know, almost like bluegrassy in, in, in a way. Uh, it has like sort of like a bluegrass feel when it comes in initially, like a lot of single note playing and what have you. Uh, and then it just gets, you know, big again. And of course, you know, their tongue in cheek joke. This was uh, part four of the Gangster of Boats trilogy. <laughs> Can you have four parts to a trilogy? <laughs> Apparently. I, I The try and trilogy suggests three. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, I, you know, there's always tongue in cheek, funny stuff with rush. It's very nerdy and cerebral. Uh, but from that, I'm like dreamline. Like you said, good song, really great. It was the first song, first single off the album. Roll the bones. A great tune. Where's my thing. Uh, ghost of a chance. They played a lot. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of that song personally. Um, but you know, people like it, I guess. But if I had to pick three, it's it's Dreamline, Roll the Bones, and Where's My Thing. What I agree. You? I agree. I, I had I, well, I had Roll the Bones and uh, Dreamline. So, okay, yeah, check out Where's My Thing if you haven't listened to it in a while. I mean, it really is a fun instrumental. Um, so, yeah, you know, well, let's stop here. I don't have anything good to say about Presto. So, well, then let's just do Presto and call it a day. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't pick one song on this record I like. All right, well, all right, let's do Presto because I happen to like Presto. Uh and this will be a great way to get our fight on. Um <laughs> All right, Presto came out in 1989 again, produced by Rupert Hine. So Rupert Hine has now produced two albums by Rush. Uh well, this was the first of two. Uh it was recorded at Le Studio, which is, you know, like was like their second home for a long 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 time and i like this album i don't like everything on this album i think sonically it's shit it's terrible it's yeah. thin it's like, their worst sounding record i i think i agree i think it's terrible sounding and that should have gotten a remix not vapor trails um but far less keyboards than what was on hold your fire and that alone made me happy <laughs> like right Okay, cool. Like from the first single, which was Show Don't Tell, it's actually the first song on the album. And it's, you know, that's a great rush tune. The way it starts all off time, you know, dances in and out of different time signatures, uh, gets all big at the chorus again. There is some keyboard in there, but it's not driving the song. Guitars start driving songs again here. Not as much as on Counterparts and Beyond, but right. this is sort of the, the, the change that needed to happen. You know, um, people uh, like if you want to compare it to like, you know, the, the prequels, the star, the Star Wars prequels, 
It's like you had Phantom Menace and nobody liked it. And then there was the second one that you had to have to get to the third one that was actually pretty good. Call McCartney's favorite Star Wars uh, movie is uh, Phantom Menace. Well, because his taste is, again, squarely in his mouth. Uh, (laughs) But so anyway, if we look at it from that aspect, you know, this album sort of had to happen. Uh, It sounds like shit. Yes. It sounds like shit. It sounds like shit on CD. It sounds like shit streaming. It sounds like shit on LP. There's no saving the Sonics on this album. No. Live, they played the songs and they sounded way, way better. So, like, and they didn't play too many songs on this album. Over time, there are a couple that they always played. One they is play the pass. the pass. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, the pass I'm familiar with. The pass is one of their favorite songs that they ever wrote. And they really enjoyed playing it for that reason. So that is, you know, they'll even tell you like that hands down. They love that song. They, they, they think it's some of Neil's finest lyrics that it's just, you know, cause it's a, you know, it, it's a good tune. Is it, does it resonate with me? No, but I understand what it's about, you know, um, you know, it's about suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's, you know, it's an emotional tune and it means a lot to a lot of people. So I don't take anything away from it. Um, Show Don't Tell is a great, great song. Uh, and I kind of like, I shouldn't like it, but I like Anagram from Mongo. I can't even tell you the last time I heard that. Presto is one of those records. I mean, I listened to it before when I was in my super deep rush phase. I'd be shocked if I've heard that record in its entirety more than one time. Anagram from Mongo, you should listen to because from a lyrical standpoint, it's great. Every line in the song is an anagram. So he's taking, you know, it, it's a, there's, there's a tick and talk and atomic, you know, like some of them sound kind of cheesy, but some of it's pretty inventive. And, you know, the, uh, the chorus is like, there's no safe seat at the, uh, no safe seat at the feast. Take your best stab at the beast. It's all anagrams, you know, it's all yeah, interpolations. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a really well-written lyrically song. Is it the best Rush song ever, like musically? Eh, but I kind of like it, you know, just because of the, the way that the lyrics flow. And you know that he's trying to like write within a certain scope, which was really intelligent, very cerebral of him. Yeah. So which is why I like that song. But, you know, most of the rest of the album, it's, it's you know, there's some misses. There's some misses in there, uh, for sure. Like uh, I remember it being really long, too. Like, it just seems really long. It could just be no because song, it's not good. The shortest song is four minutes on the nose. Okay. There's ten songs on this album. The shortest one is four minutes. So... Yeah, but, but the, the run the run length half, is like fifty. It's got to be like fifty five minutes, which is hefty. Yeah, let's see. Uh, should say here. Yeah, fifty two eleven. Okay. Uh, but I mean, like, other albums went way longer. Yeah, but I, maybe it's just because this one's just not that good. Because you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was gonna pick a couple of songs off this album, I, I may not even pick three. Uh, but show don't tell for sure. And for those that are fans of it, the pass mm-hmm. because rush is a fan of that song. So how could you not put that on there? So, but that's what we'll, we'll, we'll cut this off, uh, for now. We'll get back to it again for part two and probably a part three, uh, as we keep going backwards in time. Uh, it's not going to be next week. We're going to space these out 
just because we want to. Uh, but with that said, now it's time to move on to our final two segments. Discovered and this song sucks. Yes. And I'm going to have you, because I think I started last week on Discovered, so I'm going to let you start this week on Discovered. Before I before I do this, so then that'll mean we're going to go hold your fire to moving pictures, right? Uh, we'll on see the how next far we episode. Get. We'll okay. see how far we get. Can't go past permanent waves. Well, we can, but... We um, shouldn't. We shouldn't. The 70s should be its own thing, in my opinion. Yeah. So let we'll, us know what you think in the comments. There you go. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how many we can get through and how much we hate some of those, because I got a lot to say about those albums in the 80s. Yeah, there's a couple really bad ones. <laughs> so much as I love Rush. OK, yeah. for Discovered this week, uh, I wanted to pick this one because I think one, I think it's a great cover. It's a different take on the original, but also to celebrate the uh passing well unfortunately the passing but celebrate the great voice of dan mccafferty of nazareth who just passed away last week i think he was like 76 one of the most underrated rock and roll voices of all time they did a lot of great covers of course a lot of people know love hurts that's their big cover uh that's a huge hit for them but a fantastic cover by nazareth is their version of This Flight Tonight, which is originally a Joni Mitchell song on um, Blue, on her fantastic record, Blue. Um, which, if you know anything about that record, it's a pretty stripped-down acoustic guitar, piano, and a little bit of percussion. Um, Nazareth turns it into a straight-up rock tune. Uh, great vocal from Dan McCafferty. Um, and a, a lot of people don't even know that they did this cover. It was a minor hit for them, especially in uh, Europe. But I love this version of this song. I love the original version of this song. But the Nazareth thing, what you and I always love, Mike, about this segment is when they take a song and completely turn it on its head. Yeah. This is a great example of that. Awesome. I will have to listen to that. Um, as far as mine, I kind of went with uh, something that was thematic for this week. Um, not Rush uh, in, in this one. But... Um, Nick and I are part of a vinyl group and there's auctions and raffles and one of the ultimate grails. And we've talked about it on this show came up available. So close. So close. Led Zeppelin. How far out were you? I was. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. All right. So it was Led Zeppelin's debut album. Now. Okay. Fine. An OG debut album by Led Zeppelin. A couple of hundred bucks. No, 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 no. This was the one with the turquoise lettering that should not have been turquoise lettered and they were like what the hell this and is so, top top 10 yeah top rarest 10 records rarest yeah. records ever uh the last one that i had seen sold that ian had seen sold was probably about three grand yep so a bunch of us went in was a hundred slots uh one of my coworkers, he went down in the first 20 i made it to the top 30 Nick made it all the way to number three. Oh, I was so close when you told me that like I would have way rather went down in the top in the first 20 like to make it to number three on yeah. the record of one of my favorite bands of all time and just for my vinyl collecting and he has that, another 
Oh my God. Of course he does. That guy is, I can't believe the shit that guy finds that he is a maniac, but I was so, so fucking close. Yeah. It was so close. And I was just like, come on, come on. I was like, number five, no, who, you know, fifth place, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes. Cause I'm like watching it live. Cause Nick hadn't had a, had an appointment and I'm like watching it. I'm like number four, or no, fourth place, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes. And I was, cause I was keeping track of all of his numbers. I'm like, he's got one left. Number three, uh, third place, blah, blah, blah. Oh, fuck. I felt so bad. I was, oh, my God. Especially because you had to coax me into doing it. Because hey, I'm like, I know I'm going to be disappointed. And sure enough, I was super fucking disappointed. Better number three than number two. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause I think true. if you were number two, you probably would have slit somebody's throat. <laughs> that's that's true. So with that, I went with what you might not even think is a cover, and that's I Can't Quit You, Baby, mm-hmm. which is actually originally done by Willie Dixon. Uh, and it sounds amazing because it's Robert Plant and Jimmy Page doing what they do. Uh, and uh, whiskey-soaked vocals with, with whiskey-soaked guitar. Uh, actually his vocals aren't whiskey soaked, but, uh, they just sound really good. You're talking about a 19 year old kid able to screech however the hell he wants yep. <laughs> and a lot of power in that one. Um, and then leading right, right into how many more times, uh, right after it, just super killer. So that was my, that was my cover that I went with this week. Great uh, stuff. I'm going to also give you Oh wait, it's time for the intro. Y'all know what it is. It's time. I love it. It's time. What's this happening, This song baby? sucks. This song sucks. And there you have it. It still is not boring. It that, still is. It not never boring. needs to be updated. No, I'm never going to update it. It's just too good. It's just, we'll always be there. Always, always, always. Um, honestly, uh, you know, I, I could pick a Rush to- rush song, which I was thinking of doing, um, but I feel like I'm beating on my favorite band by doing that again. But we are talking about Rush, so I probably should. But the thing is, we didn't make it to the worst album, and I've already picked a song from that album. So I'm going to pick a song from Presto because I know how much you love it. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, I thought Presto was their worst record, but I already. I, so now that I know that you don't think Presto is their worst record, I know which one you think is. Yeah, uh, we almost got there. Um, uh, the song Available Light, which is the last song on Presto, should have been left off Presto and any other album they ever made. Um. <laughs> You don't know the song, obviously, because you don't like the album, but it's shitty. <laughs> like, it it's sounds just, shitty. It's meandering and it's like weird and, and I don't like it and uh, I never did. And so I'm not going to uh, say anything good about it because it sucks. That song's Available Light by Rush sucks. It sucks. I'm sorry. Well, when Getty's on, we'll have to ask him about it. But they're watching. 
Um, but, you know, they just don't want to tell us. <laughs> they're watching under aliases. They are. They're, they're, they're watching under Patrick Middlestat and Conchetta S. That's, that's who they are, uh, actually. Conchetta is Alex. That's why it was so awkward when you blocked Patrick before. Yeah. Because like, you were actually blocking Alex Lifeson. No, I was blocking Getty. He's Getty. Oh, he's Getty. Yeah, he's Getty. There you go, Pat. Yeah. So what's your song that sucks? Okay, I have no theme to this. I just heard it the other day and remembered how much I fucking hate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it the a Steve awful. Miller song? No, it's not. Oh. Yes. Yeah, actually it is. It's Steve Miller Abracadabra. <laughs> Again. What a terrible a third, fucking song. Three, three weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> That song still sucks, but no, it's not that. Actually, it's one of my other most hated artists, John Mellencamp. Oh, my God. Fake two, two cent, two rate Springsteen, John Mellencamp. When I was a young boy. And the song is the authority song. I actually like that song. Oh, God, I hate that song. Why? It's terrible. First off, I hate, I hate that guitar tone what is that is that like a pv bandit through the mixing board how did they get it so dry it's so awful one of the one of the worst guitar tones ever (laughs) i think it's a telecaster and i just hate i hate how he sings it like i don't even know any of the lyrics other than the chorus of course but like i just hate that like he's i'm a like that, like I'm a Southern guy thing, but he's from Indiana, so he's not Southern at all. Well, to me, it's it's sort of like his version of I fought the law and the law won. Right, but that's better because it's not him. Yeah, well, there you go. You don't... I find authority, authority always winning. Yeah, they always win because he sucks so bad. I wish the authority was... I don't mind the song. I actually like the song. And and I'm really ashamed that the fantastic drumming of Kenny Arnoff has to be on that. Is he on that one? He's got to be, because I think it's on Scarecrow. You're on Scarecrow. You're on Scarecrow. You're on Scarecrow. <laughs> no, but no, really, it's that guitar tone. It's really like it's somewhere between like John Fogarty and and garbage. So it's just fucking terrible. <laughs> Not the band, actual garbage. The actual garbage, because I fucking hate John Fogarty's guitar I know. tone, dude. You fucking hate everybody, dude. I don't hate everybody, but you I you hate do. lots of people. I hate John Mellencamp. For you sure. hate artists, like you don't like John Fogarty. You don't like Steve Miller. You don't like. Isn't John this Peter coming Mellencamp. from the guy that doesn't like Tom Petty or Bob Dylan or people that are actual artists? Not, not. I'm from California, but somehow I sound like I'm from the swamp. John like Fogarty and and uh, and John Mellencamp, who literally has changed in the early part of his career, changed with any fad that came. He's I'm not an artist. I'm a fan. He's of an his. artist, but you don't like Bob Dylan. Okay, I don't like Bob Dylan. Yeah, he's he, that's an artist. Bob John Dylan Mellencamp. never changed. Bob Dylan never changed with the fad, ever. Not like John Mellencamp, no. No. When he went electric, there were like riots in the streets. He was like the originator of that. He wasn't following a fad. Oh, please. Who else was plugged in at that point? The Beatles! No. No, the Dylan was no. before that. Dylan was before that. Oh. Well, when did he plug in? When, when did it Early go off 64. Early 64. 
The Beatles were plugged in prior to 64. No, the Beatles showed up in America in fucking February of 64. I don't know. You have to look when Newport was. was. I don't know. Newport was not in February, I'll tell you that, because it's fucking cold in Rhode Island. Yeah, because that music lends itself to not being cold. What? I'm saying like of like they wouldn't do that in the, the Newport in- Jazz Festival. Whenever he played in Newport, it was outdoors, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, you're not playing in Newport in February. Okay, whatever. He wasn't plugged in because of the fucking Beatles. Beatles. Okay. Still, John Mellencamp sucks, and the Authority song sucks. You suck, and so does Bob Dylan. No! What is... Bob Sager is awful? I think she means Bob Seeger. Oh. <laughs> Bob Seeger's not awful. I'm from I'm from Detroit, so no matter what, I have to say Bob Seeger's great, but I actually do love Bob Seeger. Now I'm looking up when he played Newport. Well, he played it a few times. I think 63, 64, and 65. Let's see. 65 might have been actually when he had the full band and was full on electric. Let's see. All right. Well, 64, he played Mr. Tambourine Man and It Ain't Me, Babe. Right. It looks like he's holding an acoustic. Acoustic. Okay. So then 65 was when he dragged the band up there with him. And Pete Pete Seeger was going to cut the fucking power because it wasn't pure anymore, man. Well, listen. Here's a whole thing. That would be after the Beatles. I still don't. Th- he wasn't doing it because of the Beatles. Oh, my God. Fad. He went with the trend. He went with the trend. Okay. Well, I didn't hear Bob Dylan doing I need a lover. You're not going to get an argument out of me about John Mellencamp. I don't care. I'm just saying that, like, you can't, you know, pot, meat, kettle. You're both black. Except for you were just saying I hate artists. You do. No, I don't. Steve you don't Miller, hate bands. Steve you don't Miller. hate bands. You hate individuals. Oh, I hate lots of bands. No, you don't. Like System of a Down and well, Tool right, and Sublime. Right. And uh, and who Two who of the three of those you're right on, but the one in the middle, not so much. <laughs> hate it. Wait, I think she's actually trying to say that. Uh, let's see. Where, where is it? She said, yeah, Bob Sager is awful. No, I think she meant to say Bob Saget is awful. <laughs> Bob Saget was all right. Bob Saget was funny as all get out. Oh, Bob Saget. <laughs> the Tourette's guy. There you go. All right. So with that said, a couple of notes. Uh, next week, we will actually be on on Wednesday. We're doing Wednesday? We're doing Wednesday. Okay. Day before Thanksgiving. I mean, I think I have a gig. Oh, my God. No, actually, I don't know. We're going to have to look at that. Next week we'll be on at some point. I think actually no, I think I'm good. Actually Wednesday. Oh my god! All right, Sorry. Wednesday, and we're gonna do Nick's favorite episode because he loves Christmas music and only. No, wants we're to not. Do, we're doing yeah. the Black Friday preview. We're doing that too. We're, we're gonna, gonna put do, together a Christmas playlist. We're doing a Christmas playlist and the Black Friday preview. How much is coming out on Black Friday? A hundred and sixty titles. All right, I guess we're not doing a Christmas playlist. Hate you. I want to do a Christmas playlist. Can we do Christmas playlist the following? No, the following week is you, right? The f- no, the following week uh, is no show. 
because okay. on the road. Okay, I um, thought we were going to do the thing for your birthday. That would be the week after. Got it. Okay. December 7th, the Wednesday, December 7th, it is my 50th birthday, and we will be having a 50th birthday show. And I already got a couple of special guests that are going to come on and join us. Sweet. Um, I need to see if I can get one of our mutual friends to come on here and join us. Oh, bro, I don't know. I don't know, bro. I was thinking about how how Patrick Middlestat said Bob Seger is better than Mellencamp. Uh, Our buddy Bob tried to uh, shortchange me in front of some, uh, some people and was like, yeah, but what do you think? Steve Miller or Bruce Springsteen? And the the artist he was talking to said, uh, Springsteen for sure is better than Steve Miller. And Bob and our buddy Bob was like, oh, all right. Well, I thought you were going to say Steve Miller. (laughs) I mean, I don't even like Bruce Springsteen, and I would say Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) I would hope. I mean, like that's sort of like a like, you know, saying like, well, who's the best? Who's the best baseball player? Some guy who pinch hit once or Aaron Judge? (laughs) Oh, well, of course, the pinch hitter. In fact, um, yeah. So uh, anyway, with all that said, thank you. Oh, wait, I I can do this. We can uh, we can do this uh, for the the outro. Um, Oh, wait. What about this? Fuck you. (laughs) And then. Uh, where's the outstanding? Where's the jingle? All right. With all that said, thank you so much for joining us this this evening. We still went longer than I wanted, but we had fun and we ranted a lot at the beginning. Yes, a lot. We had a lot to say about that, but uh, it's all good. Thank you all for hanging out with us, all four of you. Uh, thanks, Conchetta, for saying that my birthday will be the old fuck show. Uh, I appreciate that, and you're right. Yeah, the busiest bar night of the year is the day before Thanksgiving. Not for me, though, because I have to leave on a flight at 6.30 that next morning on Thanksgiving itself. So, where are you going? going oh, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I'm going to New York. New York. I'm going to New York. Hey, hey. slice of pie. Yeah, yeah. I'm over here now. Are you hey. over here now? Yeah, where you at? What is? What, am I you- an asshole? Yeah. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right. My name is Mike. That is Nick. Nick, what store do you own? Rock City Music Company. Where are you located? Five Mile in Farmington. If you're local, or you can find us at rockcitymusicco.com. There you go. That's what we have to say. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. Bye.